Okay, folks, welcome to the podcast. It's been way too long since since we've done this, and apologies to the folks that that subscribe to this and and enjoy listening to this podcast. But I think I think we're in for a really really fun one, an educational one. And if, if you know me, you know we love to talk about oysters and and the value of oysters and the habitat they bring to our base systems, the ecological services they provide. But this one's going to be a little bit different. This is this is on the food production end of, of oysters. So um, I have the good fortune of, of sitting in, in Palacios with David Aparicio and Mario Marquez, and we're going to talk about specifically about oyster farming, but certainly we'll probably talk about other aspects of the oyster fishery. So guys, thank you for um, providing the space and allowing us to do this. I, I really appreciate your hospitality. No problem. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Um, We'll start. We'll start with Mario, and then we'll go to we'll go to David. So, uh, just give us an introduction, Mario. Uh, who you are, where you're from, what you're about, and um, what what brought you to Palacios? No problem. So, um, I am the aquaculture specialist for Texas Sea Grant. So, um, I do anything and everything that is aquaculture related, not just oysters. But um, my specialty is oyster aquaculture. I uh, I've stu- I've been studying oysters for close to about 10 years now. Uh, started off as a researcher in academia, <clears throat> working on my you know PhD in aquaculture, and then from that I became a farmer in Florida. Um, but I am I am originally from South Texas, from you know the 956, the valley. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so um, so yeah, I was in Florida, and you know like uh, I I just uh, you know was doing all that stuff, and you know how like moms are like Mijito, like when are you gonna come back? And it's like, well, mom, they don't have what I do. So uh, once I heard through the grapevine, because you know this this aquaculture community, it's it's, it's very uh, it's very close. You start hearing things, and it's like, okay, wow, they're going to open up uh, Texas uh, for aquaculture, where it's like, okay, cool. Literally um, picked up, uh, was was done, um, and then um, pick, put everything in my car, and then just drove 17 hours back to South Texas, and uh, I was lucky enough to get hired by Texas Sea Grant, because they really wanted to focus on this whole new oyster aquaculture industry, um, this, the last state to actually allow it. So after that, um, I just uh, applied to Texas Sea Grant, which I've known Texas Sea Grant for, for years, and I like what they do. And um, now that's um, I'm the aquaculture specialist, and my focus right now, because the industry is starting and they need a lot of help, is about 90% of my work is focused on um, aquaculture, helping people literally through the permitting, through farm installation, through helping them, teaching them everything they need to know about oyster aquaculture, even selling, uh, marketing, uh, getting loans, um, all that stuff. And um, I, I help farmers all the time. I get calls on Saturday mornings, stuff like that. Um, and yeah, just really trying to start this industry. And um, it's, it's really been successful. When I started, it was just legislation on paper. And then it's cool to finally, a couple years later, see it actually working and people are eating our oysters. And that's awesome. I remember, I remember first meeting you and talking to you about it. Um, when the legis- at, you know after the legislation passed and Parks and Wildlife was creating creating the rules and, yeah and, I think and, we had that meeting framework. here in Palacios that's right that's yeah. right and so yeah I imagine that is a really cool transition to see I mean and it's still a flower in bloom right but you you've helped to bud it out and, yeah and it's growing yeah I've helped uh, every farmer in 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 certain ways um, start off um, so yeah I, I really like having my 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 hand in this and um, basically I hold I hold farmers hands till they don't need me to hold their hand anymore. Um, or they don't want me, or they don't want to talk to me anymore. Right? So yeah, and then you know, it's just trying to just really help them start off, and it's really cool. 
Did you pack your bags before you had the job? Yes, did you, I did. I did, and I and it was a gamble. Yeah, so I told absolutely. mom, "Hey, mom, uh, can I, you know, have a spread spare bedroom?" And it was. And the thing is that I moved down in 2020, right when the pandemic hit. Oh yeah. So yeah, uh, but you know, you know, it, it just it, it really helps. So it really helped to to move down here, and it's it's very helpful when you move down to a state where only like two people or three people know how to do this aquaculture mm-hmm. and you're one of the few people that actually knows about it and it has i could talk history. about it but yeah. uh, <laughs> um so yeah um and now i'm i'm living in um i call it the middle of nowhere d what do you call it heaven on earth yeah palapsis <laughs> i didn't i didn't even know where it was i actually had to google it and i was like okay so now i i love it it's interesting you know when i was with parks and wildlife one of the struggles for the facility down here at least was you know being able to attract and retain the, the people that you were looking for to run the farm or run a hatchery or do the science yeah um but then other folks that are from around this area treasure and they absolutely love it to your point d heaven on earth like yeah. you wouldn't want to be anywhere else so yep, it's definitely home so why don't you tell us about about home and and about um kind of your your background and, and your history of how you got to where you are now so i started my journey in the shrimping industry you know my father and his father you know they built up an industry which you can see the boats on the wall and um they were my grandfather started the business you know probably in the late 60s and early 70s and you know him and his cousins and brothers got together after the uh world war ii came back home built up enough money and started the industry kind of a later start and then so they were the first generation to kind of put our family in the seafood business. And then my father and his brothers, and they have a lot of cousins as well. They kind of took the ball and ran with it and kind of brought the companies to where they're at today. And then we're like the, the third generation that's getting involved. And, you know, when I was hearing about the aquaculture industry, the oyster aquaculture industry, I was in a position where I was like, I want to buy another boat. I want to, uh, you know, expand the fleet. And I met these guys. You know, I met Mario and Chappie and Rob and the guys over here at the hatchery. And I kind of just went over there, introduced myself, and never knew anything about this. Never. And I heard about it through these guys. And so I went home, watched YouTube videos, and I said, man, this is really something that I can – do it really just captivated my mind and so i was like i want to try this you know i want to do something different and never once really been in the industry of oysters ever until i learned about this and i was like i want to do this this is just what i want to do yeah and it beats being away for 30 days on a boat (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know because growing up in the industry you know we were in school you know obviously we couldn't be gone but you know after school you know i started we're uh, working on the boats, going out, and then it's just, you know, you're gone for 60 days at a mm-hmm. time, and you just, all you see is water and fish and shrimp, and, and I love it. I still miss it today, but I know if I were to go out right now, I probably wouldn't miss it as much. <laughs> <laughs> There's something to be said about, you know, about being, having stability and, and certainty of business, and of course, oyster aquaculture, there is some uncertainty involved, but you know where you're going to be the next day, you know, when, yep. when you're going to be home and when you're not, and it's not this, um, like, well, like you described, having to leave for extended periods of time and kissing your kids by and say, well, I'll see you when you've grown an inch taller or something like that. <laughs> exactly. So, um, was there ever a moment, so you talked about, you talked about uh, meeting Mario 
and Rob and the guys down here and, and getting interested. And so you have to go through a process to, to apply for the acquired permitting. Was there ever a moment where you're like, okay, I'm going to do this? Or was it just a one step led to the next? I mean, did you ever have this awakening? You're like, this is my gig. I've got to move forward. Well, um, at first I kind of pushed it off to the side. You know, my heart's always been in the shrimping industry. And I've always loved everything about the shrimping industry. You know, it's always been such an adventure. And I love being on the ocean. I've always loved being on the water. You know, I grew up here. My father had the shrimp boats. My mother had an RV park right on the bay. So we're always riding bikes, fishing. And, you know, in my life, I never wanted to do anything else but with the water. And so it kind of just made me want to do something different whenever I kept getting not necessarily no's, but like things wouldn't work out. I couldn't find a boat. I couldn't get the money to get a boat, you know? And, and so whenever this kind of fell into my lap, I really didn't want to do it at first. Not to say anything bad, Mario. No, no, no. I I know we talked about it a lot, (laughs) but, um, you know, once I like learned about it and just kept learning about it, I finally was like, all right, I'm going to do it enough putting it off to the side. I'm going to do it. And then, you know, I'm sure glad I sure am glad I did because I love it. I love everything about it. There's not one thing about this that I don't love. Even the failures and the hardships, I still love it because it's, it's such a fun experience, unique experience, expensive experience, but you know, without a doubt, best decision I've ever made in my life. And it is how, how would you quantify it from, you know, obviously y'all have the family business. So is this your full-time employment or are you able to set uh, delegate some of the responsibilities as the owner to somebody else so how does that work for you no so i still you know my my father and my uncle they're very much still involved with the shrimping but you know i still do work for them i still work with them and help manage the boats and you know anything that they need i'm always there for at the beginning when i first started the business i kind of had to pull away and then focus on getting everything built out in the water everything ready finding the guys getting kind of starting start the flow of mm-hmm. things now i mean i would say it's more of a uh what is it a trickle than a flow yeah right but you know i and I when did. you started you were a horrible farmer <laughs> but it's everyone is everyone Everybody and, and is. it's yeah. pretty good where i'm like wow this yeah i was like yeah yeah do it dude do it <laughs> but yeah it, it's uh now i'm kind of more in a position where i can kind of step back go find buyers go uh you know, hustle more and more buyers where I can sell more oysters. And I got two great guys that help me on the farm. I got a guy that helps me at the fish house. And then, you know, I'm still very much involved with the shrimp boats. So I really love the position I'm in now because I could still have my first love. And then this one is like my baby. Like this is, this is mine. This is uh, what I was, I feel like this is what I was born to do right here. Start this oyster uh, oyster business. That's that's great. Yeah, you certainly have. You could see it when when I met you. When I saw you at Oyster South, mm-hmm. and then I mean, even even today, when you like walk in, you you can see it on you. And just now, when you're just talking about it and watching you talk about it, you can see your facial expression. And so that's really cool to cool to witness. And you know, certainly Mario, you should, as you alluded to earlier, take take a lot of pride in that expression that he had on his face because without people in the right place, such as you helping these people transition into farming you know none of this is is ever going to be successful 
Um, I thought your your note about everybody's a bad farmer at first is kind of yeah. kind of funny they because say, they say you're never you're not going to be a real farmer until you kill a million knife. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They say the same thing about uh, fish hatcheries, fish culture, yeah. and everything. Yep, you've got to kill a few animals uh, to to get to get it figured in out. In early January of this year, we had an oyster showcase and uh, in Austin in Austin Seafood. Uh, they were they were great to host, but we really wanted to get vloggers quality seafood it was quality seafood in um in austin and um we had it and uh it, it we we really wanted to showcase the first three farmers the ones that had harvest uh produced stuff and we invited like we really wanted to, to pitch it to like the restaurateurs and the chefs mm-hmm. stuff like that so it was, it was closed very small uh, maybe about 50 people and we had uh Brad from Copano, you know, yeah. um, you know the, um, the Texas Oyster Ranch. And then we had uh, Barrier Beauties from, from Galveston. And then we had uh, David D. here from Matagorda. And uh, it was the first time that I felt so proud because it was actually something that you worked so hard in to actually see it produced where people were actually eating it. It was just amazing. Yeah. It was just kind of like, wow. It was it was awesome. Like you kind of felt like a, I, I don't know, um, kind of like a proud yeah. father, even, yeah. though, even though, you, you know, it's it's theirs. It's theirs. But, you know, so. Yeah, no, really every you know everyone that's involved in this should take pride in the sense of ownership. And even though you know David's a farmer, but um, this whole process has has it's been a a movement in the right direction and opportunities and certainty of business for brand new people to the to the oyster industry or those that that are in it now and they're looking for um, you know twelve months of oyster work as opposed to just just a couple during the public season. So, man, I yeah. You should own it. We all should own it, but um, we we got it. We've got to keep this thing moving forward. So, then that's kind of the one of the reasons why I did want to sit down and talk to you is because maybe some people listening to this will want to want to consider jumping into um, oyster aquaculture. So, let's go into a little bit about the specifics, um, the sort of the, the the permitting process, and then D, why you know where you landed on on the site you chose, the gear you chose the layout of your farm, the size of your farm, and then, you know, possible expansion. So, um, Mario, start with 30,000 foot view. You know, what can people expect that want to enter into the permitting? Yeah. So, um, um, the permitting is, um, it's a lot of, uh, hurry up and wait. So, uh, the only, the thing is that other states do it differently. I know Florida is kind of a one-stop shop. You just apply because they have, they, they kind of have a, um, programmatic kind of thing where it's through the FDACs, the, you know, um, Florida division of aquaculture of, you know, whatever, whatever it's called. I, I forget the moment, uh, the name at the time. So, but Texas is different, um, where you have to go through different, a few different agencies. Yeah, when we started, it was, it was several more, but you know, we've, it's, it's kind of like a bumpy road when you first start, then it starts to, you know, just kind of just smooth its way out. We're not completely there, but you know, we're getting there and it's not me. I just kind of help the farmers through. So, other states, uh, it's it's a very small area where you can farm. That's not really the way it is with Texas. So um, you go on, the first thing you do is you go on um, Department of Health and Human Services, their shellfish viewer map, and wherever you can basically wild dredge, wherever wild harvesters can do that, you can you can basically farm there. And then, you know, it, if it's legal, I mean, first you have to see if it's there. Then you basically uh, go through the, then you talk to the GLO and see if it's legal because there might be pipelines you know this and that but the thing is that you can't have your farm near seagrass or oyster reef 
So um, after you, you pick out your, your potential areas, I always recommend them to be at least six feet deep, usually with the gear that most of the farmers in Texas are doing because we have such, our, our bays are very wind-driven. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're somewhat tidally driven, but they're more wind-driven. You're going to get a lot of beat on your cages. So um, I always recommend them having six feet. It's, and the reason why is because uh, it's not if a storm comes, it's when a storm comes or a hurricane because, you know, that's something that we have to deal with in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, what you do is during the hurricane, you drop your cages. Sink them. You sink, um, yeah, you sink the cages down to the bottom and let the hurricane pass. And, you know, the deeper it is, the, the, less, the less dynamic it is at the top, you know, at the bottom compared to the top. Mm-hmm. You don't have to deal with storm surge. And then you pull them back up after. So anyway, that's just the depth thing. Um, so what I always recommend doing is uh, picking out your three sites, do A, B, and C, you know. Then set up a meeting with um, Depar- uh, with Texas Parks and Wildlife, uh, with their o- Oyster Mariculture Group, and what they do it's it's a it's a site consultation. So you give them your sites, and then they they ha- you use GIS. It's uh, it's a big it's a map. It's a very advanced map where it has all different layers. They can pull up like depths and salinities and <clears throat> dissolved oxygen and seagrass and you know oysters. Oysters. And, and pipelines. Then, yeah, exactly. All that stuff. And they basically kind of tell you like, okay, this is a good area, or they'll start to help you tetris your site in mm-hmm. and you know and then you, you you do that you fill out the application um you do your natural resource survey where you go out and you can, you can side scan sonar and they, they can show they sh- they help you how to do that i can help you too um or you can core and de- it's, it's either or it's it's either, either or. it's either, either or, or depending on the time the season depending on the mm. season because the thing is that you can't really do it in the fall and winter because that's when the seagrass kind of uh, goes, goes dormant, yeah. you know, so that's why. But anyway, after you do that, um, and the thing is that other states, when because I'm with Sea Grant, so I deal with a lot of other specialists. They're like, man, Sea Grants, I mean, these people are really helpful. Um, they, they really just work with you. And um, so anyway, you do that. Then, you know, I'm just, I'm just doing it kind of short. Then you get your um, conditional permit, you mm-hmm. know, and then after that, then you go with the GLO, Army Corps, TCQ. You know, TCQ, stuff like that, and it's it's it takes about U.S. Coast Guard, yeah, U.S. Coast Guard to get your your marking Markers. determinations, and you can't put anything on the water until you're condi- you're completely permitted, and um, it's a lot of um, hurry up and wait, and eight months sounds like a lot, but after going to, like to Oyster South and all these other things, uh, other conventions and conferences and meetings. It's actually kind of quick because other states like Georgia and uh, Mississippi can take up to three years. Wow. So eight months versus three years. But the thing is that it takes eight months. But during that time, I really like it. I really like for the farmer to take that time because they can find loans. Mm-hmm. They can learn about oyster aquaculture. They can go out to like the farms and learn. Right. They can basically start to talk to suppliers to get their, 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 their supplies and their seed. So basically, once they get their permit, they can hit the ground running. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. But... D's actually done it himself, so he can actually tell you some of the frustrations, some of the benefits. Yeah, and that. calling wanna... calling uh, state agencies <laughs> like multiple times a day. Maybe bugging them more than I should have. Well, that's okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of a like Mario said, it's like a hurry up and wait, you know, because you you it the TPWD permit is kind of complex. You know, they ask a lot of questions. They're doing their due diligence, due diligence on how you're supposed to be doing things on the water and they want very specifics, but it kind of sets you up for the rest of the applications yeah. that you're going to need, yeah. you yeah. know, cause it's kind of like they ask for all these things and then you go to the GLO. Well, you've already put it in this permit, how you're going to do it. So you kind of just copy and paste and put it on that. Permit. Even for yeah. like they're, they're, they're even 
for federal. Because yeah. once you get to the federal permits, it's like if you have one, if you don't cross a T, you're down an I. It's going to get yeah. kicked back. Yeah. It's going to get kicked back, thrown to the bottom of the pile, and then when it rises back up to the top, you better hope you're, you know all your T's are crossed, your I's are dotted, so that way you can get through that that time. Yeah. And but it is frustrating because I was kind of just chomping at the bit, you know, ready to get after it and get going. But in the long run, it is worth it, you know, because it did give me a lot of time to learn. My biggest regret, though, was probably not going to see another oyster farm. Yeah. Because I have yet to see another oyster farm that wasn't mine. And it would have been a good idea in that time. Well, there aren't that many, especially well, when you started. Maybe, in but, that, yeah. maybe going out of state. Yeah, that's true. And well, in Texas. I mean. In Texas, there wasn't any at the time. I mean, uh, Brad and Hannah were kind of barely getting barely, started yes, exactly and um but i probably should have went and seen an oyster farm and kind of looked at their operation and instead of just watching youtube but uh when you get all your permits it's a good feeling you know you finally can get started you can put anchors in the water gear in the water and then it it worked out great for me i mean i'm not gonna say it works out great every time but you know i was able to get all my permits and then get seed a month later and yeah, you were, you were one of the lucky ones. I, I yeah. got very lucky and I'm thankful for that because, um, I was able to get started kind of right off the bat, you know, mm-hmm. a month after I got everything finished, got post in the water, markers, everything. Okay. I'm ready to go. A month later, I was already diving lines and adding oysters into the water. And then, but going back to what you're talking about, the permit process, yes, it is lengthy, but it's not undoable. I mean, I did the permit process all myself, and I didn't know what I was doing. So there was a lot of, uh, hey, go back and fix this. Hey, do this. And the agencies will work with, especially TPWD. I'd say they were the greatest about, you know, um, being responsive, telling me, you know, hey, you should have done it this way, not that way. And then it's just a quick fix. You go back and get it done. And yeah. And I think you had several Zoom oh, meetings with them, had, probably like four. It that was, was really lot. helpful. <laughs> probably all the misspelled words in the application. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, what? Um, so you, you you completed your application, got your anchors in the water. Um, how did you? How did you figure out how? Well, first of all, why did you pick the site that you chose? So the reason why I chose my site was pretty much for logistic reasons. We have a fish house right here in the Turning Basin, so I wanted something that I can come back and forth to in a timely manner, uh, especially when it comes. To this season, summertime, yeah. summertime, when you have that one hour time temperature matrix. And so that was the biggest reason. So that way I can just pop back and forth, do everything in under an hour. Mm-hmm. And um, that was number one. Now, number two, um, you know, I talked to a lot of the older oyster guys in town and, you know, kind of asked their opinion, where do you think is a good spot that oysters grow? And a lot of them told me off of Turtle Point, you know, back in the day, there was beautiful oysters out there they grow but i think you know now there's not so much so um that was a big reason why i chose that area i really liked how close it was i liked how i can go drive out to land and look at the farm yeah with i mean you have to look with binoculars but it's still easy you can tell like hey all my cages are there you know all my lines are there uh so that made it very accessible and um the only downside is we have a very big open bay. 
So come summertime, you get those southeast winds, and it gets yeah, rough. Your site's mm-hmm. not very well protected. It's well protected from the north. Sure. The north. So yeah, when sure. the northerns come, it can be blowing 30 miles an hour, and, you know, we can be out there on a flat bay. Yeah. But it's the south, south winds when it blows 25, 30 out of the south. That's when it gets pretty gnarly out there, and uh, you just got to hold on tight and <laughs> get out to the line, hook up to it as quick as possible, and then we just take our time and, you know, make sure nobody gets hurt, you know, because a big thing – is you don't want to put my I don't want to put myself in that position also more importantly I don't want to put my guys in that position where they can get hurt you know on a rough day you're still you know on a flat day you can get out to the farm in 10 minutes but on a rough day it's more like 25 minutes mm-hmm. so when we go out there rough I always go with them because you know I want to make sure that everything's good if it's flat like today it's real nice and well, I'd say it's nice and calm for yeah, our yeah, base yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it's still a little choppy but yeah, other states would be like so scared yeah (laughs) it's not it's uh but that's that's the main thing is you know you want to make sure everybody's out there working safe and you're being productive yeah life jackets on and uh you know everything's good and you know they're they got it and you know they're well trained enough to where okay you know we can go and so the farm that i have there were so many mistakes that i made but i'm already in bed with what i got so it's just kind of like Okay, just deal with it and then fix the mistakes on the next go around. Is it um, are the mistakes with the orientation of the of the cages or kind no. of walk us through the lessons you've learned up to this up to this point? Um, so maybe what I should have done was made it long and skinny. Instead, I thought about it and prevailing winds. So I set everything up to where if a prevailing wind is coming straight out of the southeast, I have my farm shaped to where it's pointing into, pointing into yeah, the wind so yeah. all my cages ride like a boat on anchor yeah and so that was my idea behind it getting lines straight is the hard part because if your lines aren't straight then you know it's you kind of you kind of ruin your spacing because spacing i think is everything i think that can be the difference between putting a million oysters in a couple of acres versus you know 200,000 yeah. in a couple of acres it really messes with the efficiency yeah it messes farm. with the efficiency with the farm so you kind of really want to make spaces sure. between lines or spaces in between cages on a, on uh, a spaces in line. between lines yeah and where where your boat i mean think of it like the, a the running lane or yeah, the, yeah your running lanes yeah, your and running stuff lanes. like that you know you kind of want everything to be very i mean nothing's going to be 100% straight but you want it to be tight like and i think I always, yours are 20 feet Mine are 20 feet apart, so I can get in there with the boat, mm-hmm. and I could even turn the boat around if I had to. Yeah. And uh, But you want it to where you can uh, get in there and work safely, and then you're not banging up against two different lines, and, uh, you know, then your boat's getting messed up, your gear's getting messed up. And so you, you just want to think about those kind of things before getting into this because that's the most difficult part as far as the uh, setup goes. Everything else that's difficult comes afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> like when to flip, how long to flip, when to split, your yeah, densities. Yeah. And then, like, one of the things that he's – well, we talk because we talk about it, you know, yeah. quite frequently, is uh, getting your densities in your cages, your, your oyster densities, right on the money. Because if you have them too dense, you're going to get mortality. Your mm-hmm. oysters are going to die. And if you get too less, well, then your oysters are going to look like ping pong balls. And, you know, it's just – they're just going to be – bouncing around. They're going to look bad, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, definitely a sweet spot, and I'm still trying to perfect that sweet spot. I probably won't ever perfect it, but there's definitely a point to where too much oysters 
can cause mortality. And two less oysters can also cause mortality because they're getting... They're getting pummeled. Yeah, they're getting hit twice or three times as hard, which can cause the build a chip enough to where it opens up and then yeah. the oyster doesn't have the strength to close, close back up and so those are different things that i've noticed and it's very hot here in texas you know we get what 10 hot months maybe two actually cold months mm-hmm. and so you want them to not be so suffocated because when they are suffocated you know that's whenever you can start seeing a lot of them die and and i can tell you how to kill an oyster because i've killed quite a few of them already <laughs> so what is your target or mario what's the target stocking density you're using oyster grow uh, i'm using it's or? the same style but i'm using a catch them supply okay so it's for those that are listening it's it's a basically a cage structure that you can place bags inside of and they have rides float. on floats and they have floats yeah and so you can theoretically you could flip these are you flipping yours or are you? i i do I do, but it's kind of hard when you get this many cages. Yeah, it, it's it, labor it, intensive. Yeah, it's labor intensive, and you know it's very rough in our base. So um, there's been times where like I would try to flip, and the next flip, morning and they, they, they flip, flip back. back over. <laughs> so, so it's it's all site specific, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that's kind of one of the things you know, like hey, well it's too late. I'm already in bed with this site, so I have to just figure it out and just keep going for it. Yeah. And and. There's a lot of mistakes that I made. Yeah. A lot, a lot. There's, I mean, I can, I can fill up that whole whiteboard full of mistakes that I've made <laughs> so far. But I mean, definitely, the success is probably outweighs the mistakes. I mean, but you're not even a year in. I'm not a yeah. year in either. So I mean, I'll, I'll let you know in five years. So, so a it's, six millimeter seed. What would you want to stock in it? Yeah. So the thing is that it, it stocking density. It really. Um, it really depends on the size, obviously. So the thing is that um, when you get six millimeter seed, I'm talking like it, a good a good example is it's the size of your, it's about the size of your pinky nail finger. You know, it's it's small. Well, if you don't have long nails, um, but um, so it, we all just we always go by density of the bag. Um, so one thing that you always want to do is you typically always want to stock at a fourth or a third of the bag, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be harvestable size oyster, three inch oysters, or like four millimeter size oysters. So it really depends. But the thing is that, um, you know, once they grow out, they're going to grow fast. And D can tell you, he can tell you that because, you know, you might go out there and, you know, check them two weeks later. And then they're like over half the bag is full. And you're mm-hmm. talking about bags that are about three, in, uh, three feet high. So, so, you know, they're, they're very long and, and, they're very slim and long. Mm-hmm. They're maybe about six inches deep, like, you know, depth and um, two feet, two feet wide, um, two feet long. And then, you know, so yeah, it, it's hard to explain. I always okay. reference it to like, you know, when you get clothes as a gift for Christmas and they come in that box and they're like a rectangular box. Yeah, yeah it's kind of yeah. like that. That's yeah, exactly. the shape of the bags. Yeah. So, um, so, but, but when you're talking about stocking densities, like once you're ready to harvest, cause that's what everyone wants to know when you're talking about the floating cages, it's usually about 200 to 250 oysters per bag. And the thing is that the way it works, it's kind of like a sock in a shoe. So the bags go in the cage and the cages are always in there. So the, the bags that most of the farmers are using in Texas, they're, 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 con- that they're currently using or they're already permitted they're going to use are the six bag cages. So it's six bags in a cage. Each one can hold 200, 200 250. So Harvestful. you're talking about, yeah, yeah. So you're talking about, about 2,000 per, per cage. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can basically grow, uh, the rule of thumb is per acre 
is about 300 to 350,000 oysters per harvest, um, you know, in the cages. So that kind of gives you a good estimate on that. You, uh, you're probably going to get 20. The, the industry standard is about you're really good if you get 20% mortality. That's a really conservative one, obviously. You know, uh, farmers have had challenges. And, you know, we, we one of our first farmers, he had a you know, great, great farmer, great guy. Uh, he had a lot of challenges uh, because it wasn't it wasn't his fault. It was, you know, a fr- we had a freshen. He yep. had a freshen, yep. so he got hit, you know. Um, but, you know, he's, he's, he's bounced back from that, and he's rocking it. Like, he's doing such a great job. Um, but, yeah, but then, like, um, so, so that's the stocking density, stuff like that. Um, so it really depends. And, I mean, the thing, the, the analogy that I always use when you're, when you're growing oysters is they're going to be slow at first, but um, it's like popcorn. Mm-hmm. And D has seen that. And you're, what, what are you doing? You're never ahead. Yeah, you're never yeah. ahead. You're <laughs> always trying to play catch up. Well, yeah, even this time of year when it oh, gets yes. so warm, how do you keep up with that growth? So I learned from last year because I planted last year in August. Now that we're going into the warmer months, I made the decision. Uh, so March, I started tumbling through everything I had. I said, I'm going to put all my big boys here and I'm going to put all my smaller growers back in these same lines. Uh-huh. So I created a whole other section to the farm to put those there and I'm going to start harvesting them. And that's good. It's You always want to do the farm management. Yeah, smalls you, you, with smalls, mediums with mediums, yeah. larges with larges. And kind of what I was doing was like small, medium, doesn't matter. Put them back. <laughs> and then the big boy's ready to go. Okay, we're putting them over here. And so the challenges that I saw was when I planted my first seed last year, I had put, I started off with, 15 bags. So that's like... What was your seed? 500,000 seeds. And I started off with 15 bags. Each bag had about a quarter full of oysters. Within a month, every single bag was full. And if people wondering what that is, that's like cooler. Like a nice size cooler. No, it would be... Too cool. Too? It would be... Well, honestly, you can fit everything in one. I put everything in two because they're going to give you... Like, hey, these are your fast growers, and then they're going to give you these ones. Like, hey, these ones aren't as fast at growing, so they kind of have them separated. And so, but you could easily fit every every five hundred thousand oyster seeds in one and like one hundred fifty quart cooler, cooler, cooler. And then within two months of that being in the water, they'll go from you know three cages to. 12 cages and then after that it's like 12 cages to 24 24 to 48 48 and so on and then once you hit that threshold you're playing catch up man and yeah and so i hit that last year and so it was like a huge struggle to just get my head above water it's kind of like when you go to the circus you see those guys where they're spinning plates on like a little uh, on, a, on a stick or whatever yeah. and then they're just kind of like running back and forth mm-hmm. to try to keep them like that that's what it is yep that's that's a good way to put it because that's exactly what it is and then you're having to deal with weather you're having to deal with uh you know making sure everybody's happy and you know and because you know like i struggled you know with like keeping guys on board and then you know once i found the guys then it was after that it was just a complete difference in uh uh um you know production mm-hmm. you know productivity you know and then like, training the guys and then training the guys and it's not rocket science you know it's very simple and you know 90 percent of what we're doing is making sure we can clean the gear and swap the bags out keeping the bags clean because the bags are the actual house so and the, then the, best, like the cage is like this apartment complex right the people right. the people listening you're probably like well what are you talking about the bag so the bag it's a plastic square bag like he talked about like the shirt you know that you get for that kind of shape but it's it's meshed. 
So the thing is that depending on the oyster size, you're going to go with a mesh. Um, so for babies, you have something that's very, you know, four millimeter. Uh, yeah, four millimeter. And then it goes bigger. It's kind of, it almost looks kind of like a screen. It's a screen, but it's, yeah, it's, it's like, different size meshes. But like a trampoline screen, but like a little bit bigger. Bigger. But bigger. The, the thing is that when Dee's talking about ca cleaning the cages, well, those can get clogged over time yep. with algae, with mud, with mm -hmm. barnacles. So if they get clogged, well, there's no food. There's no water that can go into your oyster to feed them. So they're going to suffocate. They're going to die. die. And, and... How often, I mean, in, in this time of the year, algae and, and biofouling occurs rapidly. So yes. how often do you have to? 40 days, I'm switching out gear. I say 40 days. It's kind of like 40 to 60 days. Okay. But because, you know, now that I got a lot of gear on the water, it kind of takes us a minute to get back in and to, uh, to catch back up. Mm -hmm. How many cages do you have in the water right now? Uh, 300. Okay. 300 cages. So that 300 times six, what is that? A lot. Well, well, 300 times six is how many bags I got? 1,800. 1,800. So about 1,800 bags. And then, you know, we're going. So it's never like a, it's a never ending process because as soon as you finish the whole farm, well, then you got to start back over. Yeah. And then you got to just keep going, harvest and do, and also do that while you're harvesting, you know, just kind of like a never ending rotation. So you need good guys that can help you do that. And then, uh, you need a dependable boat, a workhorse. And not, you know, not, not a fancy boat. You know, you don't no. want, to, you don't want no eighty ninety thousand dollar no. boat. On you the almost water. want to tear out your center console and just put like, that's a, what I did. Uh, put yeah. a troll, uh, put a, a tiller on the back. That's exactly what I did. I got a Carolina skiff and I'm not going to lie. My uncle gave me a sweetheart deal. I told him what I was doing and he just so happened to have a 24 foot DLX Carolina skiff. And I said, Hey, sell me your boat. And he was like, I don't want to sell it. I said, look, I'm starting a oyster company and I need a boat. I said, that boat has, has been sitting there for about. 15 years since the last time you took a fish and just sell it to me. So then he was kind of, I don't want to sell it. I don't want to sell it. So finally, I guess he just drove up to the fish house. and He's like, I want to sell the boat. And then I was like, okay. He's like, I want eight grand for it. No negotiation needed. Here you go. Let's go get that's this thing. Good, that's a good deal. <laughs> it was for, a really good deal. That's a good deal. But for that was a, so you, did you move the console back or did you go with the tiller? I took the console off. I tore the console off. And, you know, granted, you know, when I got the boat, the motor was a 97. And so <clears throat> I didn't want to take no chances. The motor still run. I got it as an extra motor and everything, but, uh, I just went ahead and put a brand new, you know, 70 horse tiller arm, uh, kept it real simple. And then I put a bit of mini top that went across the whole entire boat. So mm -hmm. it kind of looks like a jungle boat. Yep. That's what my yep. wife says. It looks like, <laughs> yeah, it looks like the, the rock that, right. yeah, that jungle. Rock, that, that's, that's what it looks like. That's yeah. exactly what it looks like. And so, uh, it, it helps out because during the summertime, you got that shade, yeah. you know, yeah. we keep plenty of water on the boat. That really, it can really change the fact of working half a day versus working a full day. day. Yeah. And so that, that's, that's the big thing. And, you know, it also helps too with like lifting gear and, you know, getting things structured out there. And, um, is, is anything on the boat automated or are you all manpower lifting cages, turning cages? Uh, all, it, it's all manpowered. I mean, I'm eventually going to have to do something. Because I'm going to save my back yeah, and I want to save my guys' backs yeah. because, you know, the cages are heavy. You know, it's, it's not – this work isn't for the faint of heart. You got to, like, really understand, like, this is not hard to do, but it's hard labor, physical labor, getting out there, dealing with the conditions, then lifting all this heavy gear, your boat's listing real hard to one side, and then you kind of have to work, get everything – I mean, you got 24 foot by eight, eight foot, I guess, the beam of the boat. Yeah. But it's still not a lot of space. And then you're putting 
thousands of pounds of oysters on the boat mm-hmm. and so yeah don't do like this never buy a new boat for this <laughs> right yeah right. don't ever buy a new boat like <laughs> maybe down the line i'll buy one to just kind of run to the different farms and say yeah hey, y'all guys yeah. need water y'all guys need <laughs> what do y'all need but this is the foreman the foreman yeah, yeah. It, just tell me what y'all need i'll run back and get it and i'll bring it but then i'm gonna have to throw it and then they're gonna have to catch it on a buoy and things like <laughs> one, that. one of the things that i i man i i talked to so many people that want to get into oyster farming and like I probably talked to maybe, it used to be faster at the beginning, probably about five a week, you know. So they're like, tell me everything about oysters. Like, oh my gosh, okay, let's start. So the thing about them is they come to me and they have a starry-eyed look. They're like, they're like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Where I'm like, okay. And I really try to burst their bubble. Like, stop it. Mm-hmm. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not, oh, you're going to become a millionaire overnight. It's hard work. And you're basically trading in your tractor for a boat, but it is farming, mm-hmm. like just as hard. It's yeah. just, you're doing it on the water. Hundred percent. I kind of reference it more towards ranching. Well, yeah, that's yeah, exactly. So I mean, I get it. Still is farming, but like I think of like my cage as a pin, my, or my line as a pasture. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly. And yeah. Then, then you have your pins, and then you have your corrals. You know, so you have. Your oysters are in your bags. And they're just grazing. Yeah, they're they're just just grazing, grazing, growing. And then as the babies get bigger, well, then you split them from their mamas in the the ranching world. And then you just keep adding on, keep growing them, add lines, split them, make sure the densities are good and make sure the gear is clean and, you know, things like that. But definitely summertime is the most – requires the most work. Mm -hmm. Your fouling's higher. Your bays are rougher. And so it's kind of like the odds are against you because once you get to the winter, you have to deal with the cold, but the bays are a lot cleaner, calmer, and uh, there's less fouling. And also, too, uh, one thing that the summertime has over the wintertime is your growth rate is far more faster in the summer. And then in the wintertime, they kind of go dormant but they still grow but they just don't grow like they yeah. do in the summer yeah. i usually reference it to winter being the oyster farmers like summer vacation kind of like you know it, you're still working but it's just not as intense it's not as intense yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, on your site you ran your lines parallel with the prevailing winds would it be parallel right yeah. is that parallel yeah parallel oh yeah just straight into straight the, into yeah. mm-hmm. is there is there or is there any benefit to putting something perpendicular to break up the wave action or does that not well, does well, not work that way what, what will happen is your first section when you have your first section completed that'll break the wave action and then when you get to your second section it's a little bit less it's still rough but it's 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 less so like when it's super rough we work the inside mm-hmm. when it's really calm we then go work, work that the, we okay. go work that front line because uh it's really hard to get, especially when you get towards the end of the line where the waves are coming in. That's whenever the boat starts taking on water and, you know, you can get yourself in a bad position very quick, get your prop caught up in the line and yeah. then you're stuck trying to get it out. You're taking on waves and so, you're trying to get out of there. There are some other farms in other areas where they really don't have that much, well, dom. it's not like we have like 30 knot winds like, like we do. They don't have it. 
So there are some farms that they do it perpendicular, but the thing is that we can't really do that in Texas because they're going to bow and then it's going to be stress on the line where the line's going to pop. Yeah. But the other thing is why they do it perpendicular and, you know, the research is there where it's like, okay, I can see why you're doing it perpendicular because wild reefs sometimes are perpendicular to the current. Mm -hmm. The reason why is because, well, I mean, it's more nutrient availability. They, they, they're doing it so they can get more, more, more nutrients, more algae uh, for consumption. But the thing is that we really don't have that problem in Texas where you're talking about like oligotrophic like less like very low uh nutrient um, algae in the water um our area our our bays or our estuaries the texas coast it's it's very nutrient rich so the thing is that um you don't really don't need to make them perpendicular well, um kind of to add and on it's, that and it's stress to the lines yeah, like yeah. extreme stress extreme oh. stress so you want your cages to be in their most buoyant position, which is like a boat on anchor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the currents run. So that's kind of like north and south. Well, I guess you can say southeast, northwest. Yeah. And but the currents run east and west. So you are going to have like a, a bow, a slight bow, yeah. and whether it be okay, the uh, water's running out, so it's going to be everything's going to be bowing towards the west, or water's coming in, everything's going to be bowing towards the east. Mm -hmm. So you you look at those things. So we do have currents. Because every day, you know, or, you know, some days it'll be bowing this way, some days it'll be bowing that way. And when it's rough, that's whenever we decide, okay, where are we working today? Because how I have it positioned is I have both of my doors on the same side. So this is a boat row. And if the wind is bowing really hard this way and it's really rough, well, then the boat's going to naturally just smack into that line. So we're going to grab that line that side, and we're going to work that side. Yeah, yeah. And so then that way your boat's taking on the waves. And then your hands aren't in the way Got of it. the waves. Yeah. And so that means like no broken hands, no broken fingers. Yeah. No, <laughs> and you no literally, doctor bills. you literally just kill your engine yeah. and just tie up to the line, tie up to the and line, just start just work up and the just line start working up your line. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause when you put that, when, when, when you bring that line on, you know, I always tell people like you want it as tight as a guitar string, you know, you mm -hmm. just want it to be nice and tight. And then when you put that boat on your line, I mean that line on your boat, your boat's going to be – it ain't going nowhere. No, it's not. I mean, you're going to need some heavy, heavy wind and strong waves to get that thing off of there. Yeah. And once you do have that, you have the – you know, like I said, you have the waves breaking it, and then it's easier to work off of a certain side. Mm -hmm. So it, that's kind of how we de determine what we're doing. So we really think about everything we do before we go out there. And then once you get used to it and you kind of learn your bay and how it works and – you know, the pros and cons and, you know, the goods, the bad, the ugly. Once you kind of learn that, it makes life easier. Yeah. But learning that is, is the struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm got still learning it. Yeah, it's growing pains for mm -hmm. sure. Definitely. So you, you, you got your permit and a month later got seed, which was, which was a great experience and, uh, you know, a neat window of opportunity. What's, what's seed availability look like um, for you moving forward? And uh, what are the, what are what are what are some things happening in Texas that y'all see with regards to uh, seed for oyster farmers? I think the seed availability is it looks okay. You know, like we're working with the um, guys down in Mississippi and was it Auburn, Auburn, Alabama. Yeah. You know, they're they're very helpful. They've done great things for us, and they're working on spawning for us and. Uh, you know, we're rooting for them because our businesses are going to be dependent off of them. Yeah, we're and so thankful that they didn't have to do it for they, us. They don't have yeah. to do it for they us. They don't, not at all. Because one thing, and I understand TPWD's point, but, you know, they're very strict on what you can bring in. Mm -hmm. So, like, in other states, they'll allow you to bring in an out-of-state triploid, 
which is like a triploid for people listening is just an oyster that does not or mostly does not produce sperm or eggs. What is like 0.01%? Yeah, something is, like that. Is like a spawn rate or something. Yeah. But um, it's basically like a seedless watermelon. Yes. Or I like to say it's like a a mule. You got a horse and a donkey, and you make a mule. But a mule and a mule can't make another yeah, mule. Yeah, you lose yeah. me there. I'm not. <laughs> I'm from the city. No, but that's how I like to explain it because you, a mule and a mule can't produce oyster. I mean, it can't produce another mule. But or a, oysters. Or <laughs> oysters. Or an oyster. But you got to do a horse and a donkey, and you can produce a mule every time. So it's kind of like that in the oyster world. But I mean, it's not. It's totally different. It's just that's the analogy I use yeah. because, you know, I grew up in the country. That's kind of how I think. I think about horses. I mean. Oysters like horses. I think, you know, you breed your fast horses with your fast horses and you get an even faster horse. Well, I think in oysters, if you breed, and this is just a theory, I'm not saying it's true, if you breed your pretty oysters with your pretty oysters, well, yes. then you're going to get pretty oysters. They're actually doing that. Um, uh, we want to start doing that. There's other states that do that, but we yeah. want to start essentially doing that. So I worked for VIMS mm-hmm. where we mm-hmm. did the breeding for the industry up, up there for mostly disease resistance and, and, and growth rates, so very familiar with Oh yeah, everything. Well, y'all about. are the so, guys that are kind of yeah. They kind of just groundbreaking everything. Yeah. Not invented it, but really brought it to the United States mm-hmm. and really yeah. did it. Like Stan Allen, like but Stan yeah. Allen, all those guys. Yeah, they're great. So you got other states helping us out, and we have some some movement going on in state. So let's talk about that for for a sec. Yeah. So um, in state right now, um, we've got uh, Palacios Marine Agricultural Research. It's a nonprofit. And they're actually stationed, uh, well, they have their, their thing out of Palacios. And they're, well, I don't know, what D, like what, like a half a mile from your, you know, it's yeah, everything so maybe close. Maybe a mile. But anyway, yeah, what, what they're doing is that they, they do research conservation. But one thing that they really are, um, you know, really trying to do for us in this industry is uh, is produce seed because, you know, it's like, yeah, it's kind of cheesy, but it's like we're in the need, the need for seed. So, and that's, and that's <laughs> not just Texas. That's the entire Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. Um, so the thing is that, you know, they, they, you know, um, they invested and and they've got some great people working with them Mm -hmm. and they've actually, they're already producing seed. Um, and hopefully they can start producing to where it can, um, sustain ours, sustain ours. But I know that the thing is that I've seen Texas, we're on, we're on, um, conditional permit 14 as of right now. So I'm expecting there by the 2024, we're going to have 14 farms in the water. So they're, no, they're doing great. And they're, they're doing a lot of really good work, um, where they're going to start, you know, selling oysters, but also, um, we've got, um, AgriLife, uh, the flower bluff hatchery. It's an oyster hatchery. It's run by Dr. Chris Hollenbeck with, uh, Ag- Texas AgriLife. And they're really doing some amazing work in their hatchery with research, but they're also a commercial, a small scale commercial, um, hatchery to where, they can produce they can seed, sell seed, but but their their main focus is not commercial. It's, it's it's for research because they're really looking at the genetics of Texas because the the Texas genetics of oysters. I mean, I can go into it if you want me to, but it's so different compared to other places in the country, if not the world. So yeah, well, it's yeah. I think Chris and and his team are also um, in the process of creating the tetraploids, which is what yeah we need yeah. To, to but make tex- tetraploids. the tetraploid takes about four years, you know. But uh, they, they, we really need a tetraploid because, it, I mean, we're, we're talking a lot about, you know, pe- te- diploid, tetraploid, triploid. So basically a tetraploid makes, 
Um, a tetraploid and a diploid make, make a triploid. A and yep. the triploid is essentially kind of like the seedless watermelon or the mule mule thing <laughs> that, that Texas needs because the thing is that when you put those in the water, they're not going to spawn out. They're not going to be creamy. You're not going to get creamy oysters. You know, they're full of sper- eggs or sperm. And then you're not going to get watery oysters when um, after, they're after they're spawned out. So yeah. you're going to get something consistent during the um, during the summer months. And also since they don't spend en- any energy creating sperm or eggs, they grow faster. Because all the energy is going into creating biomass, which is their meat, and they're good. So yeah, and you know, like kind of touching on the two hatcheries, those guys down south, Chris and Joey, 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 um, Doctor Joey Matt, yeah, yeah, Joey Matt, those guys are very, very smart and intelligent. Yes, you know, I feel like just talking to them just makes me feel so dumb (laughs) about the oyster industry because I. They really have a good grasp, and I think it's a good idea that they're doing the kind of the research side yeah. of it because nobody's ever done a hatchery in Texas, so it's going to take them to figure out, you know, what if our windows of, of spawning is different from other states? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, stress testing. They're the really trying to work on the conditioning, the to where conditioning. they can mm-hmm. they yeah. can spawn the northern um, the northern strain and the southern strain at the same time, and then coming up to Palacios, and then you got Rob and Bailey and all these crew up here. They're just Great. Yeah, like, P- I mean, that P Mark yeah, is that, great. Yeah, Rob and you know, he's so smart, down to earth, great guy. Bailey, same thing, you know. They're they're doing such a good job of like making things happen. Yeah. And then these guys are making things possible. You know, they're um, well everybody in this that you speak to the industry that's actually doing the work is energetic and, and oh, they yeah. see the opportunity yeah. and they're excited about what they're doing the thing it's refreshing yeah the yeah, thing it about is. it is that you know i mean i've been doing it it's a very different changing stakeholder positions from researcher to now like helping the industry start out but like it's essentially like a big group of it's like a big family and like for example like you know i can reach out to you know um brad or hannah or d and be like hey there's someone that's interested on in their farm they're into farming they're like bring them by we'd love to show them where it's not like don't bring them this we've got our secrets it's yeah. like dude bring them bring them like here we we you know and kind of touching on that anything that you want to learn is on youtube I mean, <laughs> well it's different from like ah uh, and that's like the the beauty of the internet today is like if you want to do anything I don't, it doesn't have to be oysters it could be anything yeah. you can go to youtube and learn how to do it i oh, mean yeah. i mean yeah but like i but i doing can it, i can youtube how to like how to change my engine of my truck, but doing it, doing and watching it, it yeah. totally different. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, doing it is a lot harder than thinking about it or saying or anything like that. It's yeah, real difficult. Anything when you have to do something on the water just makes it way more difficult than when you have to do something on land. It's really cool where the like you were saying, Shane. Um, everyone's so energetic and like down, you know, where um, it's literally come out to my farm and I will show you the mistakes that I made. Don't do this, please. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And so, you know, farming and growing them is, is one thing. Selling them and marketing totally them is, is another. So, That's another beast. Uh, well, what's your experience been like that? And, what, you know, what are some lessons you've learned and, and how you've sort of had to, if you've had to shift directions, what's that look like for you? Um, I'd say selling them or marketing is probably the hardest part, but not physically. Just kind of like the most challenging part. Well, nobody knows culture not that many people know about aquaculture oysters in texas yes and it's mostly like what i've learned is you know you can't just explain to people you got to show them and then when you show them then they're more open to the idea and uh that's kind of 
from what I've seen. I'm sure everybody has another story. But that's the hardest part. So, like, definitely don't just jump in it and expect your oysters to be sold because you got to go sell yourself, sell your oysters, sell your business, your product. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to put yourself out there on the market and kind of get told no a bunch for that one yes and then get told no a bunch more for the next yes and just keep calling, showing up and, you know, telling people, hey, this is my product, this is what I got, you know. And it's hard too because we don't – we have a premium product. So it's – when they say – you know, oh, you have an oyster farm in Texas, they automatically think Gulf Oyster. And it's like, yes, but we're doing it how the East Coast does it, you know, how yeah. they're doing it in other states. So those are kind of the markets. It's a niche market. It is a niche market. It's it a is. niche market. But the market is there. It is. The market's there. Texas is huge. I mean, you could even get into, you know, shipping throughout the United States. Mm-hmm. And I've seen like a lot of the big successful oyster farms on the east coast i mean they'll ship them to you overnight yeah you know, e- they, e-commerce is it's it's big actually taylor shellfish they did a really great thing during the pandemic <laughs> they actually started to market oyster parties where you ship part of your sh- of your oyster you know if you you get a batch and then they'll ship it to your friends and then you just get on like zoom and just have oyster parties <laughs> <laughs> so i was like wow that's, that's really cool. smart yeah and it's 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 a very uh, it's a unique market because, you know, you're not... They look completely different from wild. Yeah, it's yeah. It, and most people, when they see them, they're like, wait, what? what? Yeah. Like, that, they're like, it looks like, like, it looks like a textbook oyster that kind of you see, like, in a, you know, like in a textbook. You're like, oh, that's not any oyster that I've seen before. It's super clean. They're models. I mean... <laughs> they really are. Yeah, yeah. They're, essentially, they'd be, like, on Abercrombie yeah, right. for oysters. They're, yeah, yeah. Magazine and covers. And, and, but, you know, like, hey, I grew up eating oysters out of the bay. And, and they're stuff, great. And they're great. You yeah. Know? Right. I, I love it. But, you know, whenever I was learning about this process, that was the first thing I noticed. I was like, man, these oysters look like they would have came out of the Mediterranean Sea or something. Right. Like, you got to tell them about the, the wild, uh, the shucking house guy that came and he saw your two and a half inch, the two and a half inch oysters out at the farm. Um where he's like, I can't shuck these. I think you were in that class where we went out to to. to no, that research. wasn't my farm. It was, was it was Chappie's farm. It, yeah, it was. But Chappie's you were there. Farm. Yeah, I mean, you know, you just look at it, and to the eye, it doesn't look like much. I mean, it looks beautiful. It's a pretty oyster, but then when you open it, it's plump. Full, it's, it's full of meat. Yeah, it's it's full, it's full of, of meat to the to the edge. So, yeah. So we 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 y'all just mentioned um, com, you know kind of comparing wild oysters to to what you're growing. You, y'all recently brought some wild harvesters, public reef harvesters, out. They got to see your operation and see your facility. And Mar- Mario talked to this a little bit while, before we got on air. But what was that experience like? Did, do you, did you see some eyeballs light up? And is, did you see some interest? Did you feel like some people might want to Yeah, so what happened was that we got some um, uh, Port O'Connor-like Lavaca area um, <clears throat> wild, wild harvesters. Um, and obviously, you know, we, we know what happened with, you know, two years ago with, with wild closures and this and that, you know, the, the populations crashed. So it's their livelihood. And, uh, so we, um, we brought them down or, or up cause it's North and, uh, they got to see D's farm and they got to see, uh, the, the, the hatchery. So the thing is that we'd been working with them before and they finally got to see it, um, as what it is. And I mean, these guys know the water. They they've been on it for like what thirty years. Like oh, oh I've yeah. been doing they've this been for doing thirty it for years. years. So they got to see uh, David's farm and uh, 
really see like you know you don't have to go out looking for oysters they're they're in his cages um you know and he can harvest them year-round and he can start selling them at two and a half inches because the thing is that it's not a natural resource that needs to get regulated um as, as stringently as text as you know wild oysters be, because essentially like for example d's farm they're his oysters he has a receipt for them and everything yeah so he can start selling them smaller and they really enjoyed that. They got to see the shape of the oysters and um, and the contents of it. And um, and then we took them to the to the to the nursery um, to the hatchery, and we got to show them how they're produced and you know basically when they're little. But it was really good. Um, their eyes were just like, wow, this is. They were kind of like, in so many words, like, wow, this is this. We really want to get into this. This is this is kind of they kind of see it as a future. Um, you know, it's a sustainable method of oyster aquaculture. And like, I mean, that, that was just what I took. Like D, what did, what did, cause we were on different boats. Yeah. So what I was did they on ask the other you? Boat. I mean, they were just asking me lots of questions like about, you know, how did I get everything set up and you know, what are the problems I see? What are the good things I see? And, um, you know, like we've been talking about them and they just kind of want to see what happens, yeah. I guess, you know, because I'm rolling the dice here. You know, I'm really taking a leap of faith trying to start something, you know, for me and my family and my kids and, you know, be like put a, a staple on you're my business. A, yeah, you're putting a stake in the ground. And yeah, they were, they a, were a little apprehensive, but I love that apprehension because that shows that they're being very careful. Well, they want to learn they too. They want to learn. Because I'm, this guy can tell you, whenever I was coming into this, I probably called him way more than I should have. And he showed up to the office a lot. And I showed up, just showed up when he wouldn't answer my calls. <laughs> <laughs> and just started asking him question after question after question. And then he'd give me an answer. But after every answer, I'd say, well, why? That's good, though. Yeah. It's the curious minds that are going to succeed in this yeah. business. Because yes, if you have a curious mind, you'll be innovative and you'll figure out a way exactly. to Exactly. And, you know, work. like I, me and my uncle, you know, we do the shrimping together. And, you know, my dad's kind of more in the retirement stage. And, uh, you know, so we're always talking. And when I started this, you know, my uncle's they've been doing the shrimping industry their whole lives and they were the most supportive and you know we would sit there and talk like hey okay what can you do better what can you and you know we're always trying to figure out little tweaks that we can do like okay can you cut time here can you um you know can you grow more oysters if you do this you know what if you can utilize a water column you know Mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of different things that we think about and you know we just kind of spitball and then it's kind of practicing and then now we're going to find out what's going to work and what doesn't work. So trial and error. Yeah. I mean, what's your depth? Uh, seven foot, seven okay. but you know, seven foot, six, between six and eight. Let's just say that because like the further you get out, it's closer to eight. And then the closer you get up to the bank, you know, it's more like six foot. Yeah. So, and then also too, depending on the ties, which really that kind of doesn't really affect it until like the, until the winter. When yeah. It blows the northern out. blows out the bay and yeah. things like that. One thing I, I tell farmers, I was racking my head trying to find an SOP, which means standard operating procedure to really try to put it online so that farmers can be like, okay, mm-hmm. welcome to the wonderful wall of oyster aquaculture. This is how you do it. There isn't one. The mm-hmm. reason why is because there, it, it really matters on where you farm. Like everything's site specific yeah it's yeah. all site specific d can have do it one way on his farm and then i don't know a mile away a guy can do it completely different because the water's are changing so you know like one thing i tell the guys i was like you know there's there's no rules in oyster aquaculture okay there's rules there's laws and regulations yes but as in as in how you take care of them there's no rules like something might work for someone that doesn't work for you that's um, the art and that's that's the, the art and essentially like what i really try to push these um people to understand is without sounding cheesy 
but it's going to sound a little cheesy. These guys are artisans. Like, just like you get guys that, you know, they bake their own bread, you know, that's, oh, it's an artisan, this and that. These oysters are artisan. They are essentially handcrafted, literally handcrafted by the farmer, you know, since they're babies. And the thing is that depending on how you take care of them is how they're going to turn out, you know, and it really is essentially, it's a science, but also a lot of it's an art. And, um, and that's what you're getting. You're getting a premium oyster. You're getting a top quality oyster and you're going to pay a top quality price, but you really are getting that. Uh, an analogy that I use is it's kind of like, almost like the microbrewery. You know, you can Mm -hmm. go and buy a six pack of Budweiser. It's still going to get you where you want to go. But the thing is that you can also go to a microbrewery where it's like in-house handcrafted IPA. You're going to pay a, a premium price, but it is a premium product. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's that's really what it is. We're just trying to really give Texans just a different option. Yeah. And that kind of going back to the marketing is another struggle because it's harder to sell an oyster when you have no name, but you want a higher price. Yes. So you kind of got to... Really try to, like I say, sell yourself, sell the business, yeah. and really try to be really informative to the buyer. And people want to see your stories. And, yeah, people want to see the mm-hmm. story. People want to know about you and know about the business and how you got started, why you got started, and you know when you got started. And so when you have a product like this, the state hasn't really seen it before. So there is a struggle in trying to educate well, I'll take that back. They have seen it before, but they've seen it from New York, You're right, Virginia, right. Massachusetts, Maine. Virginia, all those places. You know, all those places. But then when you're like, yeah, I'm doing exactly what they're doing, and they're like, oh, wait, really? And then so then then the mind starts to shift like, okay, I see what you're doing. And, and then that's kind of the beauty of selling yourself, selling yeah. your business, and your story. In, in February or March, we went to Oyster South in March. Savannah, Georgia. What what were people telling you about your oysters? No, I mean they loved them because they mean, had them from all different states. Yeah, I mean from what I've saw is just you know positive responses and you know me and Hannah were there and they really liked the Texas oysters. You know they liked her oysters, they liked my oysters, and and a lot of the people said you know like you know they think Texas is going to be a a good cornerstone in the oyster aquaculture industry because it comes down to the water. Yeah. You know, we, how, have, we have good water. We have good water. Yeah. You know, Texas has good water, and you know, we produce oysters quick. But you know, you got to deal with all the hurricanes, biofouling, mm-hmm. a lot of rough bays. So um, they did like our oysters a lot. I mean, all the oysters are good. No, they're know? all good. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I love the oysters uh, from Florida, from South Carolina, North yeah, Carolina, Virginia. You know, they all they're all good. I mean, yeah. to me, any oyster is a good oyster. You know. So that's a good, that's, you know, if anybody's interested in learning more uh, and, and experience it firsthand, maybe you don't have contact with the farmer or don't know where to go, Oyster South is a, a good avenue to, to, to look into this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, yeah they really are. And could, where, where can we find your oysters today if somebody – so walk us through. How can people want to buy them from you personally but also They, they can buy them from me personally. Now, most of the restaurants that I deal with, I don't deal with them. I'm sorry. Most of the restaurants that have my oysters, I don't deal with them. You know, so I sell to citywide distributors, wholesalers, mm-hmm. and then they're the ones who spread them out. But, you know, one restaurant in particular that really <clears throat> liked my story, like my product, was Salt Traders out of Austin. Yeah. And great guys. Uh, they invited me up one weekend to the Austin Oyster Festival, and, you know, we were uh, able to 
you know, supply them with the oysters. Yeah, they wanted to showcase your oysters. <clears throat> they really wanted to showcase, you know, Texas aquaculture oysters. Yeah. And they did a great thing. You know, they made this uh, beautiful, like, michelada sauce. And then they would chuck the oyster. And then they would throw the oysters in this bucket. And then they would dip the bill in tahini. Put the oyster oh, yeah, back yeah, on the yeah. – put, so put the oyster back on the on the shell. Yeah. And then put that michelada sauce on there. Giving it that Tex-Mex. <laughs> I brought those guys – 800 oysters and i think well i think it was more their recipe versus the oyster uh those oysters were gone in like less than an, an hour, hour. Yeah. wow I mean, but, but those guys did a really good job with my oyster i know i'm at their restaurant and a few others in you know austin san antonio houston but um but you have that instagram but yeah i do D- have an instagram dj's oyster co at dj's oyster co and you know if you follow it you can learn about you know the process of what i'm doing you know how i'm doing it and where i'm doing it and they can even pick up at your fish house yeah they can pick up my fish house so like on fridays i sell to the public so i collect orders throughout the week and then on fridays and saturdays you know because i understand people work throughout the week Mm -hmm. so you know we work seven days a week basically so you know they come on saturday pick them up you know just as long as i get a little time in advance to put all the orders together and then i can process them correctly yeah you know do all the steps i need to for the health department then you know they can easily enjoy my wishers and I'd love to show them, you know, when they come by the fish house, they can, I can show them what I do and how I do it. And I mean, there's really no secrets. I mean, it's just who wants to do it. And so how would people contact you? Follow you on Instagram? Instagram. What, what and I, you know, I put posts on Instagram. I put my number on there, you know, tell me what you need, how many you want. And, um, you know, I just make it happen on Fridays and Saturdays for the public. DJ's Oyster Co. DJ's Oyster Co. Instagram. I follow you. I love seeing <laughs> your stuff. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Well, did Mario, is there anything else you feel like we need to cover? Um, over in that, right at an hour. No, I, th- I think, I think we've covered, you know, we've really gotten that 30,000, uh, foot view. Like if people want to get into the details, then that can just take, that can be a literal whole. Yeah. So how can they, series. how can people reach you? Um, they, I'm, um, if they go on texasseagrant.org, um, they can find me there and they can just email me, um, or, or call me, text me. And really, I'm just there at the person's, you know, I'm just, I'm just here to really just help anyone that wants to start the industry, um, answer questions and just, uh, really walk them through it. Just like, for example, D is one of the examples, like, you know, just helping them through it and helping anyone. I, I'm really down for that. Um, yeah, this guy really did, uh, help me a lot, you know, cause like I said, I'd bug him all the time asking questions and, uh, they did a really good job. And it also helped, too, that they were here so I can track them down when they wouldn't pick up the phone. I'm literally a stone's throw away. Yeah, oh, literally, yeah. like, hey, I saw your truck at uh, the Vietnamese restaurant. Yeah, yeah, I saw your truck at Trans. So, so, I, know you're, so I know you're in town. Yeah. <laughs> but I uh, actually, like, on Friday, I'm going up to, like, you know, Galveston. And then, um, so I'm, I'm all over the coast. I'm not, even though I'm stationed out of Palacios, Palacios was the choice. Because, um, well, you know, you and Shane, well, you know, you and uh, um, some of the guys from um, Matagorda Bay that you guys were like, this is actually a good area. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> so you're telling me you didn't move up here because I was here. No. Um, so it, it, the reason why I went in Palacios is because it's right in the middle of the Texas coast. Uh, but I am not stationed. Just I, I basically travel, travel all the way from South Padre all the way to Galveston, you know, past that. So um, I can really just meet you for whatever you want and just help you succeed. This is what I really want to do. I just want Texas oysters to just aquaculture oysters and, you know, aqua, I'm, uh, anything aquaculture I am down for. So just uh, hit me up. I'm happy to hear you treat this as a calling because uh, we need the right people in that spot that you have. And Yeah. 
Appreciate yeah. you doing that job. Yeah, no, it's it's great. Guys, thank you so much. Appreciate you joining the podcast. Oh, thank you. No, no problem. Thank maybe you. Maybe we, we can circle back in a, in a year or two and see how things are going. We'll probably <laughs> maybe have a few more acres to, yep, to operate. Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Good so, deal. And yep. if people want to come down, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm inviting people to your farm to eat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, if people want to come down and check it out, you know, I, I like to, I have to, it, I'll tell you what, if anybody wants to come visit their farm on their boat, I have no problem with that at all. Right. But I, I'm running one boat at the time, so it's kind of hard for me to like, Tell the guys to come in, do a tour, do right. a tour, and then so hopefully in the future I can like buy me a little good pontoon boat, and get, hey, like eco tourism, you know, yeah, baby, eco tourism, yeah. yeah. stuff like that. Because I think bottom line is the more people are educated on this, the more people are going to want the product. Yeah, and whether it be restaurants, just individual individual buyers, wholesalers, you know, bigger wholesalers, grocery stores, the public, the public, restaurants, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, guys, that's a good note to end on. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Shane. You. No, Appreciate thank you, Shane. Yeah.